How do you prepare for persecution? Seriously, not just a hypothetical exercise. How do you prepare for the religious police to knock on your door in the middle of the night? How do you talk to your wife about what to do when the guards abuse her? Today on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network, we're going to hear from someone who ministers and works in Iran, a nation where more than three dozen Christians are currently in prison for their faith, a nation where many are beaten and tortured for following Jesus, and a nation where this brother, Ali, lives and works for Christ's kingdom. He knows that his work could cost him his freedom, could even cost him his life. Yet he faces those fears head on, chooses to trust in God and move forward with his important ministry, a ministry that's producing great fruit in the nation of Iran. We'll meet him and ask him how he does it today on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. We're in the studio today with Ali, uh, and Ali is active in ministry in Iran, sharing the gospel, seeing people come to Christ. Uh, Ali, the first question I want to ask you, though, is because you're in Iran, uh, we all know what could happen to you. Uh, are you afraid? Do you ever struggle with, with fear of, of what could happen? Yes, definitely. I mean, that's natural to be fearful, but you know, one thing I've done so much is just close my eyes and, and think about, okay, I'm getting caught. You know, they're coming after me. You know, I've even had this conversation with my wife. You know, they've, they've come in, you know, they're about to rape you. What are we going to do? What are we going to say? So I think practicing it inside of my mind and practicing many scenarios has helped me limit, I mean, make the fear smaller, but of course there's always fear. And so when you come in those times where you're just, almost overcome by fear what do you do i pray you know i just once again close my eyes reset and and i just think of okay persecution is a part of the christian walk you know if we're not being persecuted then we're not really walking with the lord and you have these conversations with your wife the police come in your door in the middle of the night how do you respond to them you know i with love you know we have to show them the light we have to be the light even in that dark moment you know um in Iran, the police is very violent. Um, they use fear tactics. They um, lie to you. They use deception. They beat you um, to get what they want. You just have to remember that the Lord is sovereign. You know, one thing I believe with all my heart is God is in control of everything. And he's letting this happen right now for his glory. And I have to just wait, at, wait it out to see his glory. It, it's. I think that position is amazing to Americans because we don't, we don't often think that way. And uh, how do you see the differences? Because you have some experience with the American church. You have some experience with the Iranian church. How do you see those those two being different? And, and maybe in what ways are they the same? You know, the American church don't rely on God, to be very honest. You know, they have their cell phones. They have insurance. They have hospitals. They have everything to make them rely on these things, you know, and I was an American, I lived in the States, but 
when I went to Iran, we don't have anything. We don't have insurance. You know, we don't have good hospitals. We don't have medicine. So the first thing I learned is that I have to rely on God. You know, I have to pray. You know, when something happens, it's not, okay, get my cell phone. I need to call someone. Is no, I need to get on my knees and start praying. And if the American church can just discipline themselves to rely on God again, to just trust God, you know, in all the situation, God is sovereign, God is in control, then they could see that revival happen that is happening inside of Iran. You mentioned the revival. Why is it that the Iranian people are so open to the gospel? Because Iran is 30 years ahead of the Middle East. Remember when the revolution happened, they thought the Islamic utopia would come and they were expecting that. But when they saw that this was a lie, this was deception, this was a farce, this didn't happen, it's become worse. Everything has, everything they had, they lost. They said, okay, well, if this is the answer, Islam, and it just made my life worse, then there's a, a deep problem with Islam. So Islam is not the solution. So they have rejected Islam with all their heart because they've experienced true Islam. This is why when you go to other countries, you go to Arab countries, you go to Afghanistan, you go to the, to the Stans, they are still waiting for their revolution. They are hoping for their revolution so that Islamic utopia will come. But what they don't understand and what Iranians understand right now after 30 years is Islam is not the answer. Islam is wrong. Islam is deception and it's broken. It's a broken system. So in a very real way, we could say that the Iranian government is, is some of the best missionaries around. In a real way, you could say the best evangelist for, uh, for Christ is, you know who? Imam Khomeini. He was the best evangelist for Christ. Because he showed what Islam is. That's right. When I see countries become more Islamic, like Turkey, when I see Afghanistan, the Taliban is coming back in power, when I see violence, violent Islam coming back in power, I pray for that. Because I know when true Islam, when the real Islam comes into power, people will see this is wrong. This is inherently wrong. There's a, there's a problem with this system. There's a problem with this theology. And the thing is, is that Americans need to understand is that, you know, Middle Eastern people love God. When I look at 9-11, that's passion. As hard as it is to say, and I'm an American, to say that 9-11 is passion, they're doing it for their God. They're doing it to go to heaven. We as Americans aren't even ready to go to park and talk to our friends about our God, but they're willing to risk their lives. So it's like, um, you know, the Lord told me in the Middle East, you're in a first Kings chapter 18 moment. You have Elijah and you have Baal. Who is Baal? It's Allah. What did they do? They hit themselves. If that doesn't work, what do they do? They hit themselves with swords. That doesn't work the way they do. They hit themselves with chains and razors. Well, in Shiite Islam, that's exactly what they do. So we have this mega battle now between Allah and his prophets and Jehovah or Jesus and his prophets. And Jesus will come at the end. So all I need to do is introduce this God and fire will come from heaven. I love, I love your passion, and I love the fact that God is using Islam to point people to Jesus. I think that is such a... And as, as you mentioned, as we pray for the rest of the Middle East, uh, I think particularly of Egypt and the Muslim Brotherhood, and we saw some of the same things as people said, wait a minute, if that's Islam, uh, I don't want that. I want something different from that. Exactly. So how can we pray for Iran? Pray that it keeps, you know, pers you know keeps the Islamic system stays. You know, um, 
with the new president, you know, praise the Lord, he's, you know, somewhat nice, but he's wolf in uh, sheep uh, clothing. But pray that Islam is shown, you know, the more we let Islam be itself and be the beast that it is, the more people will come to Christ because Islam is a very evil system. It's, it puts you in captivity. There's no place for women. It's a man-dominated system where men can do anything. They can have many wives. They can even have many temporary wives. So when people see this, you know, even, you know, women see this and other men seeing this, that, wow, how can, you know, God allow these things? How can God allow deception? And one thing I want to do on this radio program is that many Americans don't understand that lying in Islam is not a sin. And deception in Islam is not a sin as long as it's for the good of the religion, as long as it's good for Islam. You can do anything. So when you hear people say, hey, you know, Islam is a religion of peace, you know, Islam is not violent, or, you know, those aren't real Muslims. No, that's a lie. Because if you read the Quran, if you read it correctly, they are following it correctly. So remember, uh, pray that the true face of Islam without its mask comes out like inside of Iran, like in Afghanistan, Egypt, and many other places. So people can make a, 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 a decision based on real facts, not deception. I know that God is doing some amazing things inside Iran, and you see this up close and firsthand. Tell us just a recent time when God just kind of blew your mind with what he was doing. So um, we have a very particular way of evangelizing. We use stories. And imagine um, telling the story of Genesis 1 to a prostitute, and, and she's listening to the story, and then she starts crying. And we're like, why are you crying? She's like, you know what? I learned that God created everything for me. We're like, yeah, you know, God created the heavens and earth for you. And, and what else? She's like, you know, and I learned that God loves me because he loved me so much. He created all these things. We're like, yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, if you know these things and you understand these things, if these things have been revealed to you, what do you want to change in your life? And you're like, and she's like, I don't want to sell myself anymore. And you're like, wait a minute, how in the world did she come to a conclusion not to prostitute herself from just Genesis chapter one. Even the best pastors in, in the U.S. And the, and the world could not stop a prostitute from prostituting herself by just telling her Genesis chapter one. And that blew my mind. I was just like, wow, the power of the Holy Spirit is just overwhelming. And I know something else that you also see is, is people having dreams, people having visions. Uh, tell us, how, how common is that? How I would say out of 10 people, at least four to five people will have a vision. As we're witnessing to them, you know, the next week we'll talk to them and be like, yeah, you know, I had a dream. It was really weird. You're like, what's that? You know, one of this person told me. They said, yes, you know, I, I saw a valley and there was all of us there. My family was there. There was everyone there. You were there. And we're like, okay. And then on the two tops of the hill, there was Satan on one side. And then there was this man wearing all white. And I said, well, who is that? And they're like, oh, it was Jesus. I was like, how did you know? He's like, I don't know how I knew. I just knew it was in my heart that this person was Jesus. And the funny thing was that you were going towards him and you were calling me to come towards him. So who is this Jesus? You know, what, who is this man? You know, I've heard him that he's a prophet, but I think he's very more than a prophet. So many dreams like this, many visions like this. One time I was in, in a city and someone told me, come and see this gentleman. This gentleman had a very crazy uh, event happened to him. And we're like, we went to him, saw him and we said, so what happened? And he said, well, I had a man come knock on my door, wearing all white with a long beard. We're like, so what happened? He said, well, he knocked and he said, write this down. And I started writing it down. I looked at his notebook and he said, in the beginning, 
God, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and he had the whole book of John verbatim written. This man knocked on his door and told him the whole book of John. And it floors me, you know, Jesus is doing a very special thing inside of Iran. Why? You might all wondering, why Iran? Why not anywhere else? And the biggest reason is because Iran is the only country in the Middle East that speaks all the languages of the Middle East. And if Iranians come to Christ, that means the whole Middle East will come to Christ. Because as Turks come to Christ, they'll go back to Turkey. As Afghans come to Christ, they'll come. They'll, Afghanistan will come to Christ. As even Jews, we have Jews still in Iran. If Jews come to Christ, they'll go back to Israel. So I believe that's why God has used Iran as a strategic end time movement. Last question. Just uh, talk a little bit about what Voice of the Martyrs ministry, how we partner with what you're doing and how that helps further the kingdom there. Well, VOM has helped me so much. VOM is, you know, Voice of the Martyrs. Um, I've known them for almost eight years of my life. Um, they have been true friends. They've helped me move the kingdom forward. They've helped me when I've had arrests. They've helped me uh, do many things inside and outside of the country. Um, they've helped me witness to many people. Um, I could just tell you this, last month we witnessed to over 3,000 people just inside of a main city. And VOM has helped us to do this. VOM has helped us move this kingdom very much forward. Ali, thank you so much for coming and sharing. I know we've just had a brief time. To our listeners, I encourage you, pray for the nation of Iran. Uh, God is doing amazing, mind-blowing things there, and we get to be a part of it by praying and by encouraging the believers there. Uh, so pray for the nation of Iran. Ali, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Welcome again to our studio on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. We are privileged today to have some special guests who have come to volunteer at Voice of the Martyrs, come to serve the persecuted church by serving at Voice of the Martyrs. And we're going to talk to them about how that happened, how the Lord brought them here. We're also going to talk a little more about the volunteer program. Maybe you will want to come and work alongside us and serve here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, uh, but welcome today to the studio, Harry and Hadassah Wilkinson. It's great to have you guys here. Thank you, Thank you. Todd. How did you first hear about Voice of the Martyrs or, or first kind of get connected with VOM? We were looking for a, a missionary to support, and we had no success going through our church, and we had no success going through the foreign mission division of the church's organization. Uh, the only thing they told us was, send us your money, we'll give it to who we want. And that was not what we were looking for. We wanted personal contact if we wished to have personal contact. So we were actively looking for someone to to help support. And we were, I, I was coming home from work one evening, and I heard you on the radio, you know, the local radio station, saying that you were sending blankets to Sudan. And I went home and told my wife, you know, that's something we could do. You know, there's no reason we can't do that. And that was the beginning of it. Uh, we ordered a couple of blankets, got, or got a couple of blankets, and got them packaged. I'm going to let my wife tell the rest of it because she tells this much better than I do. Because people would accuse me of accusing her of something. So, so, so we'll, so we'll let her tell it. Yeah, we don't want to have conflict in this oh, studio. Oh, no, no. We don't want to bring that about. <laughs> Well, 
we have a thing about mailing lists, and we have been on mailing lists, and maybe it's a good organization, but it may not be just of our faith or something, and we don't want to be on them. We don't want extra mail. We never heard of you before. So, and, uh, you know, my thing was with the blankets, I thought, oh, I was anxious to do this, but I thought, I don't want to be on another mailing list. So I thought, I'm not going to send a check for because it was like $2 per blanket so that they could ship them out. And so I put some money in an envelope, which I never put money in anything that goes through the mail, but I thought, I'm going to this time because I don't want to be on their mailing list. Well, then it was time to address the box. And I thought, if I don't put a return address, I'll never know. What if it doesn't get there? What if something happens? I have a big thing about return addresses. So I put our return address on it, and about two weeks later, we got a newsletter in the mail from <laughs> the Voice of the Martyrs. And my first thought was, oh, great, now we're on a mailing list. And then I opened it up, and I began to read it, and I was horrified. Like so many people, we had no idea what was going on around the world. And when, when Harry got home from work, my words were, uh, look at this. You need to look at this. Somebody needs to do something. This is awful. And so he read it, and he said, you're right. And so that's when we began to contribute to the Voice of the Martyrs. And, you know, from there we did parachutes, and we brought a truckload of blankets out, and we did the T-shirts, um, whatever came up to do, you know, God just gave us a heart. He placed the voice of the martyrs in our hearts, and, and that has grown over the years. It's never diminished. It has grown. Do you remember that, that first newsletter? Do you remember what country it was about or what story? Or, or that's kind of faded. It's just it grabbed you. Well, it was one of the churches where they came in, and, and I don't remember the names, and I don't really remember the country. I know I've seen pictures since then of, and I'm sure it's the one it was. It was a pastor who was murdered in front of his congregation, in front of his little girl. <laughs> oh. And I'm sure you remember uh, which one I'm Pakistan. talking about. Okay. Mm -hmm. See, I didn't remember. But it was one of the really gripping, you know, vivid you know, times, and I've, I've thought different times, why do they need to be so, like a lot of people, why do they need to be so graphic? Now, because you're an American, and it's going to take something like that to get your attention and make you understand and realize that there really are horrible things going on around the world. I think it, it takes that. Yeah, and, and interestingly, I think if you go back to some of the old newsletters when Pastor Wormbrand was doing it, it was even more graphic. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he, he never pulled any punches. Uh, I've, you know, some of the pictures and some of the stories, you're just like, wow, uh, I can't believe they printed that picture. Mm -hmm. um, but but it, like you say, it gets people's attention. Uh, it, it confronts you with the reality of persecution. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you're different today in, in terms of your faith than you were when you opened that first newsletter from Voice of the Martyrs. How has the persecuted church affected you? How has it either challenged you or or called you to something deeper or just kind of how would you say, well, I'm different in this way? I think I have a better understanding of what the scriptures mean 
when they talk about true Christianity, what it means to be mm. a disciple of Christ. Uh, it has made me question some things like all who will live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. And I'm like, well, now, wait a minute, Lord. You know, I can't really say that I'm persecuted. Um, it's given me a better understanding of what it means to be a martyr, I think. Really, this time really drew me into being here this lengthy time, into uh, some of the, reading some of the books, into just what it means to be a martyr. You know, and I have begun to pray, Lord, give me a martyr's heart. I want to be a true martyr. And maybe not that I want to willingly lay down my life, but I want to be a faithful witness. And if that, you know, if that costs me my life, I want to be willing to say. And I've always had a big thing about that. It's, I've never really been able, you know, to wrap myself, my mind around mm -hmm. that. I've come to a much better understanding and a peace, I think, uh, a greater respect for for our brethren around the world who are truly living out their Christianity, laying down their lives. Um, what about you, I'm, Harry? What, how would you say you're different? The one scripture that that I've always believed greatly was that we're supposed to take care of the of the widows and orphans. Uh, right from the very beginning, one of the projects that, that we support is the Families of Martyrs. Mm -hmm. I can't really relate to them because we've never been through it, but we certainly have an empathy for for them, and it's, it, it's grown greatly over the years. Uh, just to be, you know, to, to know and know, to understand that these things do happen. And... I don't know how to you know how to explain it, you know how to put it in words. It's it it's in our heart and it's getting bigger all the time. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that that the Voice of the Martyrs newsletter does is it puts a name and a face exactly. on the persecuted church. It's this, you know, Pastor Lee in China. It's uh, Damaris in Nigeria. It's real people and and you see their pictures and mm -hmm. you hear their stories and it like you say, it becomes a lot more personal. It's, oh, wait it a does. minute. I know about her. I know what's going on. Uh, it's not just sort of a far-off kind of a concept. Yeah. Uh, it's a person. It's real people who are going through this. What kinds of things have you done over the years as you've been here and volunteered? Uh, what kind of jobs have you guys worked on? Because I know there's a lot of different things that volunteers do. You know, we have wanted to be a volunteer for several years. And we actually were accepted into the volunteer program several years ago, except life happens. <laughs> and we did not get here until last May. So that was the first time that, that we came, and we came for three weeks. Uh, at that time, you know, we were in the operations center uh, working in the mail shop as much as we could. You know, that was kind of where we landed. It became our home, uh, that or shrink wrap. You know, behind the blue curtain. <laughs> and, 
Well, that's where they put you to get you out of sight. Now, <laughs> you know, I really hope they caught that part. <laughs> you know, if you misbehave, behind the blue curtain. Back behind the blue curtain. Exactly. That's okay. We found there's back doors out of there, too. You mentioned the mail shop, and just for our re- listeners who, who maybe get the Voice of the Mars newsletter, uh, much of the packing and shipping for that is done by volunteers who come in and help. Uh, they help yes. pack the envelopes. Uh, so when you pull out that newsletter out of that envelope, uh, there's a good chance that you're pulling out a volunteer's labor. They they are, are involved in that. Uh, mm-hmm. So you talk about the mail shop. That's what you mean is, hey, we're, we're sending newsletters. Uh, we've got you know, thousands of them that need to go out. So that's one thing. Volunteers are, are really a key part of that process. The, uh, the the newsletters, very honestly, would not go out without volunteers. Absolutely. Uh, you know, what, what was it, two years ago? 39,000 hours of volunteers. Last year was just a little bit under that, from what I understand. That's a lot of hours. And yeah. volunteer labor is, is extremely important. It's It's a very key part of this whole process. Now, when you come, do you stay in the volunteer housing? Yes. And how is that experience? Fantastic. <laughs> I have things in that apartment I don't have at home. <laughs> They're beautiful, wonderful accommodations. Well, and I think one of the things that that happens is the fellowship that happens yes. within oh, yeah. those apartments. As your, you know, your neighbors that you meet, and uh, one of the things I love about our volunteers is they come from every age range. They come from every denominational background. Uh, you will see, uh, you know, obviously very conservatively dressed people who come from a very conservative background working next to uh, a teenager with tattoos and earrings. And, and they'll both be working and they'll both be fellowshipping together and conversing. And they're both here to serve the persecuted church. They've both been impacted by those testimonies and by those stories. And they both responded by saying, hey, I want to come help. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we love that. I, you know, I love how Voice of the Martyrs bridges some of those denominational divides and some of those things and, and just brings people together and says, hey, we're part of the body of Christ. Let's let's work. <laughs> let's work together. It's a common bond that, you know, like you say, crosses all denominational lines. What do you think people need to know about volunteering at Voice of the Martyrs that that are listening uh, today? What's some of the things that you would say, hey, you really need to understand this? Most everybody that's going to hear this comes from the real world. They've been out there working in the real world atmosphere. Uh, This is not the real world. Uh, Well, we've been here for four months this time. We were here three weeks last year. We have yet to see anybody get bent out of shape, get upset. Now we've seen problems. I mean, you know, this is you know, there's there's people, there's problems, there's equipment, there's problems, but we have yet to see anybody get bent out of shape, anybody get upset. Uh, everybody works together. If there is a problem and it's a serious one, mechanical, then eh, we'll take care of it tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Uh, if it's a personal problem, I have never seen one. I and. I cannot say that within within the real world. Uh, you gather together on Monday morning as as a, a a group. You know, everybody, not just the mail shop, but everybody, and you pray. This has just been a fantastic experience. I don't think anybody would ever be sorry that no. they came, whether they come for a day or a year. 
I want to thank Harry and Hadassah for being our guests today and for their volunteer service at the Voice of the Martyrs. If you'd like to find out more about volunteer opportunities, visit vomvolunteer.com. I encourage you to plan ahead if you're going to come and volunteer, especially if you want to stay in the volunteer housing. Thank you also to Ali for being our guest and sharing about Iran. You know, the Bible calls us to pray without ceasing. And I hope that as you pray, you think often of our persecuted family in hostile and restricted nations. Thanks for being with us today. As always, you can connect with us online at vomradio.net to listen to previous shows or submit a comment or question to me. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll be with us again next time on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Mm -hmm.